welcome to Firmly Planted Podcast, where we get to dive into the scriptures for our everyday lives. Please do not forget to subscribe and to share this episode with your family, with your friends, and anyone who you think would benefit from our discussion today. Now, without further ado, let's dive in to the scriptures together. Amen. Take your copy of God's Word. I hope you have it with you to 1 Peter, the book of 1 Peter, all the way into the far end of the New Testament. Book of 1 Peter will be in chapter 1, starting in verse 3. Uh, and thank you, Pastor Jeff. Thank you, church, for allowing me to stand in this pulpit. It's always an honor and a privilege to be uh, doing what God has called me to do. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, for there say word. Word, word, word. All right, if you're there, say word. All right, verse number three. If you don't have your copy, it's on the screen for you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom, having not seen, you love, Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, and receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Of this salvation the prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come. Father God, we thank you for this morning. God, we thank you for what you are doing in our midst. God, we thank you for this church. God, this community, and God, we just pray that we live passionately for you. No matter what this year had before us, no matter what we experienced, no matter what we encountered, God, I pray that we trust and rely on you in 2023. And God, in the years to come, let this be the greatest year of our life, not because of what we have or don't have experienced or don't experience, but God, because of the greatness that's found in Jesus. Pray for this time of Bible study pray that you draw us close to yourself, change us, mold us, shape us into your image, and God, help us to live wholeheartedly for you. I pray for that person here who does not know you as Lord and Savior. God, they turn from their sins and trust in you this morning. And it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. This idea of hope is something that I really think we all desire to have. And the title of this morning's message is Hope That's Alive. Hope That's Alive. Because every person no matter how you're wired, personalities, gender, no matter what, you are desiring hope. You desire hope. We are wired to have hope. And I looked at a story this week, and I found it this morning that it is a true story. I wasn't sure about it, but I was told this morning that it is a true story. This guy named Eugene Land, he was a self-made millionaire. He did not inherit his millions. He uh, got it himself through his job and working hard. And he, I think, was from the Harlem area or had personal connections to that area. But nonetheless, there was a particular school 
that odds are the students would not graduate from high school. That I think only 10% or 20% of the students on average fully graduated from this particular high school. So he was asked to speak to 59 sixth grade students one year. And again, odds are these students would not graduate high school. And he was trying to think of how am I going to motivate these kids to graduate? How can I inspire them and breathe life into them so that they can have the motivation and the desire and the, and the pursuing of a high school degree? So he racked his brain and he stood before these students and he said, stay in school. Continue doing what you are supposed to do. And if you do that, I'll help pay the college tuition for every single one of you. Now, that would be a pretty sweet gig. Now, sixth graders, let's be honest, they're not thinking about college. Most often than not, they are not having the college in their perspective. But these students, 90% of them, when they graduated, they, they actually graduated. 90% of these students graduated. One student said this about this moment that he remembered when he was in sixth grade. I had something to look forward to, something waiting for me. It was a golden feeling. Now, Eugene, he apparently went on to create a foundation to continue helping students financially to be motivated to graduate high school and pursue a degree in something far more and greater. Now, we may never experience that kind of hope financially. We may never have a Eugene come in our life and say, okay, your financial needs are completely met. But what we do have in Jesus is not a financial break, but an eternal spiritual hope that will never disappoint. And that's why I titled this message, Hope That's Alive. Because many times we have hope in things that end up disappointing us. We are promised, we are looking forward to, we are hoping for something and it may never happen. And when we get crushed in our hopes, it is a difficult experience. None of us like to be crushed from our hopes and dreams. And Paul and Peter, he really understood this idea of needing hope. He begins this passage, this entire letter, talking about hope. And there's a reason for that. And in verse number three, he begins something that we often overlook. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is an act of worship. This is a call to praise. When he is calling us to, to announce blessing of the Lord, it is praising and worshiping God. And there are so many reasons why we should worship and praise our Lord. And the Greek here gives this idea that it is assumed that all of his readers and Christians would be praising God for what he is about to say. Because God is deserving of this praise. But why is that? He quickly tells us, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope. Begotten us again. Some of your translations may say born again. And that's exactly what the concept here is, is that it is our salvation being born again in Christ. Many church members, many Christians believe that salvation is just a ticket to heaven. That it's just about getting out of hell card and making sure that I said the prayer and being safe from hell and going to heaven. But the scriptures are so clear that salvation is far more deeper and far more greater 
and far more abundant than just a ticket to heaven. Yes, we get the hope of heaven, but it is far more greater. And by saying we are born again, it is the idea that we are changed from the inside out. The, the old has passed away, behold, the new has come. We are new creation in Christ. Being born again is the essence of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. It's not a prayer, it's a changed life. And this happens through what Peter just said, according to his abundant mercy. You cannot be saved apart from God's mercy and grace. It is by grace and faith alone. God's mercy and salvation reveals how loving and compassionate he is towards you and me because we are so undeserving of being born again. We do not deserve the relationship that we can have in Christ. And yet God's mercy is so abundant to us. And Peter, he really understood God's mercy and grace. Think about who Peter was. Think about who's writing this letter. Peter is the one who's very brash. He was very quick to put, if you will, his foot in his mouth. Some of us are often that way. And I relate to Peter quite closely in that way that many times we think with our heart, but not our head. We speak before we think. And many times Peter found himself in that situation. But Peter also had another issue. He said that he would never deny Jesus when Jesus said he would. And what happened at the cross? He denied him three times. Jesus, Peter is the very one who was basically ashamed of what was happening to the person that he had followed for the past three and a half years, and he denied Jesus. And now Jesus later on in the gospels restored Peter in this way, but Peter understood the mercy and grace of God. If anybody did, Peter understood, because he was the very one who outright denied Jesus. So by him saying this abundant mercy, he knew it all too well. And as Christians, we have abundant mercy and it leads to what Peter says, a living hope. Hope. Not something that is hopeful or think we, we may have, but a living hope that is not dying, that will come to pass. And being born again gives us a hope that never fails us. It is the motivation, it is the, the encouragement for us to live each and every day abundantly as God intends for us to live. Warren Wearsby, he said, hope is not a sedative. It is a shot of adrenaline, a blood transfusion for the human soul. We so desire hope and God has given us hope. Now, this new year, people will give their hope in things that is ultimately a dying hope. Apart from Jesus, if you hope in anything apart from Jesus, it will be a dying hope. You can't hope in a relationship you can't hope in your finances. You can't hope in your job, in your family, in your friends, in your location, in anything else apart from Jesus because it can ultimately leave you in disappointment. But Peter, he's going to show us three reasons why our salvation in Christ can and should bring you a living hope. So number one, hope in salvation brings an eternal inheritance. Hope in salvation brings an eternal inheritance inheritance. The Jewish audience really understood this idea of an inheritance. Now, some of you may have received an inheritance at some point, but this concept of inheritance was all throughout the Old Testament. Abraham was promised that him and his descendants would receive, inherit 
the promised land. We have the Mosaic covenant. We have the Davidic covenant. We have promise after promise after promise to the Israelites about the inheritance of the promised land. We also have the promise of the coming Messiah, and we'll look at that towards the end of this message. But, but inheritance is something that they totally understood. And I was curious, what is the largest inheritance in recorded history? And I'm going to butcher this name, still not sure if I'm getting it right, but it was a German businessman named Hubert von Baumach. And he is the CEO and chairman of Bo Ringer Ingelheim. Probably pronounced that wrong as well, but it is one of the largest pharmaceutical companies in the world. It is the largest pharmaceutical company that's privately owned. And he, uh, it was founded in 1885 in Germany. And Hubert's inheritance, when he gained the company and became the CEO and chairman, was worth $42.2 billion. Now, I don't know what to do with a fraction of that if I received that. But I was curious, but, but, but as I was looking up this idea of the largest inheritance, what populated on Google, funny enough, was what do you do when you receive a large inheritance? And for one, I was thinking, my goodness, how many people receive a large inheritance to be asking that? But number two, I don't know what I would do with such a large inheritance. And maybe for you, what would you do if you received that? Would you invest it? Would you give it to your kids? Would you buy something amazing? Would you buy a new home, move, travel the country? Whatever would you do with that much money? But the reality is, is that we have the largest and greatest inheritance found in Jesus. We have the hope of our promised spiritual inheritance that is reserved in heaven for us. Our hope of our inheritance is something that we will gain one day in glorification in Jesus, that we have the hope wrapped up in the resurrection to come. It's what theologians call the already but not yet, because we are saved by justification, but we are being saved. We are in the process of that. The culmination will happen when Jesus returns and makes all things new. And the Bible is clear that we are co-heirs with Christ. As a born-again believer, follower of Jesus, we are co-heirs with Christ's inheritance. Romans chapter 8, verse 16. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. The inheritance that we will receive in heaven is unlike anything we could ever imagine. And it's really a reminder that we are just aliens and sojourners going through this life. This is not your home. Your home is the promise of the presence of God for eternity. Your home is the inheritance that you will receive in Jesus. And there's this idea that culture is always proclaiming to us and what one pastor has written many books about is your best life now. Your best life now. Your best life is what you have in this moment. Now, we are to make the best of what we have. We are to make the best of the moment that we live in. But the reality is, is as a follower of Jesus, your best life is not now. Now, without Jesus, without being born again, if you are not a follower of Jesus, yes, your best life is now. Your best life is this moment because this is as good as it will get 
because hell will be far much worse than what this life could ever have to offer. But as a follower of Jesus, your best life is to come. Your life is eternal with Jesus Christ. Your life is in the presence of God, protected and guarded by him to live for all eternity in the joy and the hope of your salvation. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 and 2, gives us the perspective that we should have as followers of Jesus. And maybe this needs to be the perspective of your life going into 2023. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. And here, if, if you need to have a verse to mark your entire year, let this be it. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. Too often, even as followers of Jesus, we get so distracted by this life. We get so distracted of what we have or don't have here and now. But Peter has given us a new perspective. Our perspective is not on what we have or don't have. The relationships are not what we have is an eternal inheritance. He gives us three uh, different dis, uh, descriptions of this inheritance. He says it's incorruptible, it's undefiled, and does not fade away. So incorruptible is something that can't die, it can't be destroyed. Undefiled is it never loses its beauty, it's never stained, it never becomes filthy, and then does not fade away. It's talking about like a flower that never loses its petals that the flower just fades away. A lot of times as guys, we give flowers to our wives or, or girlfriends or what have you. And so we give the flowers and what happens a week later, it starts to fade away. The petals start falling off. It starts to look extremely ugly. It's not what it once was. And you're like, oh my goodness, I spent a lot of money on something that died. That's amazing. And so the flower does not last. And that's what he's talking about, that it does not fade away. And a show that I love to watch, because I love history, and there's a lot of history in it, is the Pawn Stars. I absolutely love watching Pawn Stars. They are a very interesting bunch of people, but I love what comes across their desk. And they get amazing things throughout that shop. They, people come in with something that they think is extremely valuable. It may be, it may not be. They ask for a certain amount of money for it. And then the Pawn Stars bring in some kind of expert, nine times out of 10, and investigate it to see what it's really worth. And nine times out of 10, the people walk away either with their item or a lot less than what they thought they were going to get. And I watched an episode this week and it was on uh, this guy who brought in a Parker Brothers double barrel shotgun. How many of you have heard of a Parker Brothers double barrel shotgun? It looked pretty sweet. I never heard of it until then. And uh, it, the Parker Brothers were established in 1832 by Charles Parker. The company initially manufactured hardware and household goods. They did not originally produce shotguns or guns in general. But the slogan that they began having was the best shotgun in the world when they produced their first one. And they eventually formed the Parker Brothers Gun Company in 1868. And so this gun that he brought in was one of the originals from the 1800s. And it looked pristine, it looked nice. And he was asking $4,000 for it. So they brought in an, an, an expert and he said, yeah, this gun in mint condition is worth about four to $5,000. And he's like, yes, awesome. And so the guy starts breaking it apart. He looks on the inside, shows how used it is. And then he shows something else about it. 
that it has signs of water damage that they try to seal and cover up, but obviously an expert knows what water damage looks like. And so he said that what, what probably happened was it was in a basement and a flood happened and the, the gun got wet. It was leaning against the wall or something of that sort. And so they tried to restore it, tried to make it like new. And as nice as it looks, the reality was is that it was not in new condition. So he said, though this gun could be worth about five grand, it's really about worth 1,200 bucks. So of course, the Pawn Stars want to make money for it, so they offer him 500 bucks for it. And he says, well, if that's all I'm gonna get, I'll take it. So he goes in, things and get four grand, and he gets 500 because it's not what it used to be. Everything in life is gonna depreciate. We know that with cars. As soon as you drive it off the lot, what happens? It depreciates in value. But so many things that we have in life, that we put our hope in, end up disappointing us if we have our hope in that because everything in creation is stained and corrupted because of the fall. And we have no hope in things of this earth. But our hope and our security in Jesus will never decay. It'll never give up. And the hope of our inheritance is always gonna be protected by God. It is reserved in heaven. That reserved in verse four is guarded, is protected by the power of God. Your salvation cannot be lost. It can no longer be yours. It is always in the hands of God. Nothing can separate you from God's love for you. Adrian Rogers, he said this, Christ is my inheritance and heaven is my safe deposit box. And we have the hope of Christ's inheritance always in heaven. It's promised, it's fantastic, and it's absolutely wonderful and will always be ready for you. So our hope is in our eternal inheritance. Number two, our hope and salvation brings great joy in suffering. Here's where Peter really gets to the reason why we need a living hope, why it's so important, because we are never promised a carefree world. We are never promised to have no pain in life. A lot of times we think, man, if I just get saved, if I just live for Jesus, if I live for the Lord, all things will be perfect and complete and wonderful. And the reality is, is that though we have joy, though we have peace and understanding, we are not exempt from pain. There is no person in all of life who will not experience trials and sufferings. And I'm sure many of you in here have experienced a great deal of trials in your life. And trials are different. Trials come in all different shapes and sizes. But one thing that is true about trials is that everyone goes through them. And here's something to remember, by the way. Here's something that as, as followers of Christ, we've got to be careful with. You never know what someone is dealing with when you encounter them. That's why we should always treat people with respect because you never know what some kind of trial someone is carrying. But here he says something in verse number six that I don't want us to overlook. He says in verse number six, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, and, and if you underline in your Bibles, I encourage you to underline this, if need be, if need be, you are grieved by various trials. Have you ever wondered, and this, and, and this made me pause when I was studying this, have you ever wondered or ever thought of your trials as being needed in your life? that they actually are needed for you, that you need your trial. Because suffering can oftentimes 
serve a purpose in our life? How is this possible? What kind of purposes do trials serve? Trials can humble us. When you experience suffering, it can humble you. It destroys your pride. Trials can wean us away from worldly things in our life. A lot of times we are so grippled and wrapped and focused on the things of the world that trials reshape our focus on what really matters. Trials can give you strength. It can give you endurance. A lot of times when you go through pain, on the other side of it, you have more strength and more endurance than you had before. Trials can give you the ability to comfort someone else in the trial that you're experiencing. Trials can often speak to a person that you may never know it's speaking to because of what you are dealing with and how you are handling it. But here's the number one way that trials are needed in all of our lives, no matter who you are or what you are or where you came from. Trials make us realize our dependency on God. Trials remind you, remind me that you need God. You cannot do this life apart from Jesus. You cannot live this life apart from the dependency on God. And some of the most genuine and loving and faithful and amazing people I've ever met are people who have experienced great deals of pain. And trials prove something in our life. It proves the genuineness of our faith. Verse number seven, that the genuineness of your faith, the, the evidence of your faith being much more precious than gold, that perishes, though it's tested by fire and be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Your trials that you experience as a follower of Jesus prove and test the faith that you have. Trials do not come easy, but as Peter is showing us, it's an illustration of gold being purified. We don't have time to look into all how gold is made, but one thing is, one thing is sure, gold is proven to be real gold by the testing of fire. And your faith is proven to be real faith by the testing of your faith. The most significant thing to remember when you are experiencing a trial is that God is in control. We cannot forget that. When you are going through pain, you have to remember that God is in control. Warren Wearsby also said this, when God permits his children to go through the furnace, he keeps his eye on the clock and his hand on the thermostat. God is in complete control. It's easy to get discouraged in life when you're looking around at your circumstances and your difficulties. But we can have joy and we can have hope inexpressible when you look ahead to what Christ has to offer you, when you look ahead to Jesus. And he says something here in verse number eight. I've, I've read over this so many times, but this week it really hit me differently. Verse number eight, whom having not seen you love, Though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Yet having not seen, yet believing you rejoice with great joy. Love and trust go hand in hand. That's what he's talking about here. Your love for Jesus and your trust in Jesus connect when you are experiencing trials. Really the essence of being a born again believer is loving Jesus and trusting Jesus, relying completely on him. So when you are experiencing difficult pain, when you are going through trials in your life, 
turn your heart and your mind towards your love and trust in Jesus. God has always proven that he is worthy of our love and he is able to be trusted. And I challenge you, do you have this kind of joy? Do you have this kind of love for Jesus? Do you have this perspective that when you're going through pain in life, you can have joy inexpressible? And when you experience something difficult, I encourage you to plaster this next verse on your mirror, in your car, on your phone, whatever you need to. And you've heard this before, Romans 8, 28, verse through 29. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Remind yourself of the hope that you have, that God can work all things for his good. Doesn't mean it is good. Doesn't mean I'm not downplaying what you're experiencing or what you will experience. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is no matter how difficult the pain is, your God is far greater. And he can give you joy inexpressible because he is a sovereign king of the universe. And number three, if we are to live with joy, if we are to live in hope, the hope of salvation brings the fulfillment of amazing promises. Hope and salvation brings the fulfillment of amazing promises promises. Promises are all throughout the Bible. It's almost like you can't read a page of the Bible without seeing a promise from God. God has always given us promises, and when the greatest, the greatest promise that was prophesied in the Old Testament was the coming of the Messiah. As believers, as followers of Christ, we represent fulfilled prophecy. He says in verse number 10, of this salvation, talking about the salvation that we have in Jesus, of this kind of salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully who prophesied of the grace that would come. And let me pause and say that the Old Testament saints were saved by grace through faith. They did not fully understand this, this idea of the Messiah. They did not see in, in clarity how Jesus would play everything out. But they did have faith and they, did, they were saved by grace. We see that with Abraham, that Abraham was made righteous through his faith because he believed in God. So they still were saved in a way through Jesus, through faith in God, but they did not have this, this culmination and this reality of what the fulfillment of Jesus really would look like. They wrote about the coming Messiah. They prophesied of the hope to come in the Redeemer of their souls and the Redeemer of sinners. However, they did not see the culmination of it all. And John MacArthur, he said, Old Testament believers were saved by future grace, New Testament ones by past grace. The cross is the pinnacle of all redemption. And the cross truly is the pinnacle of everything about salvation. We have hope because of the cross. But now, what oftentimes happen, happens is people say, well, Jesus, though he fulfilled and quote, a lot of these prophecies, in all these prophecies, truly, there were 332 prophecies of Jesus in the Old Testament. People will proclaim and say, well, Jesus just arranged his life to make sure that he fulfilled these prophecies. He just made sure that he arranged everything in his life 
to be in the fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophecies. Because the records show, even secular records show, that Jesus knew the scriptures, that he was a teacher of the Old Testament, that he really was what they would say a prophet or a teacher of the law. However, they do not always believe that he is the Messiah. And so oftentimes we'll say, well, he really fulfilled that because it was just lies or he made it happen. But the reality is, is that it is impossible, impossible for one person to fulfill all of the prophecies of the Messiah. Let me illustrate. A guy named Peter Stoner, he is the uh, chairman of mathematics and astronomy at Pasadena City College. And um, in the book, Evidence That Demands a Verdict by Sean McDowell and Josh McDowell, great book to read. Lo love, that, love that book for apologetics. If you are interested, man, I would love to get you a copy. But I'm telling you, uh, they, they look at how Jesus fulfilled every single one of the prophecies in the Old Testament concerning the Messiah. And uh, Peter, he said, he, he did the studies, he did the, 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 the working mathematically. He said the probability of a first century person fulfilling just eight, only eight of the clearest messianic prophecies was one in the 10th, 17th power. One in the 10th, 17th power. I'm not good at math, but that's a lot of zeros. That's a lot of zeros for just eight of the prophecies. Now, he went on to say that it was in the 57th power for Jesus to fulfill all of the prophecies. Let's just put it in very basic terms. One, it's a lot of zeros, but two, it's impossible. What he is saying is that it is nearly impossible for one person to fulfill the prophecies of the Messiah. But here's the reality. There is nothing impossible with our God. And by Jesus coming and fulfilling all the prophecies in the Old Testament concerning himself, it proves and it shows that our God is a promise keeper. That if he can fulfill the promise of the coming Messiah, the redeemer of your souls, the savior of the world, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, if he can fulfill that promise by sending the Messiah, he can fulfill any promise that he has ever made to us in scripture. He can fulfill any promise and we can trust our God. But so many times we hear about the promises of God. We sing about the promises of God. And the reality is, is we do not live out what we actually believe. We have a head knowledge. We have a belief in saying, yes, God, I believe that you can, you can fulfill your promises. I can hold on to your promises. But the truth is, by our actions, we show we really don't believe. We really don't trust. And I challenge you, trust in the promises of God. Rely on God that what he has promised will come to pass. And the greatest promise that he has ever made is in the salvation of your souls, the salvation from your sin, that you are a wretched sinner born in sin, that you have rebelled against God, and he sent his son to die on the cross for you that he rose again the third day, conquering what you and I could never conquer is victory over sin. That's the greatest promise that God could ever keep. And he promises that we can hold on to our salvation through him, that we can hold on to the hope that's found in our salvation in Jesus.
So my question for you is, are you living in that promise? Are you trusting in the promises? Here's another question. Do you know the promises of God? Have you read the scriptures? Have you studied the word of God to even know the promises that he has in store for you? Because you can't hold on to a promise that you don't know is there. So I challenge you to be in the word, to know the God that has so many promises in store for you that's wrapped up in your salvation in Jesus. Because you can have a living hope that will never disappoint you. You can have a hope that's not dying, that will not fade away, but is alive and breathes life into you. And I was reminded of a story this week of a uh, pastor in Montana. His name is Levi Lusco. Some of you have probably heard of him because he has spoken a lot at Passion Conferences if you've been there in Atlanta. Um, But Levi, in 2012, him and his wife, uh, December 20th, were on a date. And and they came home and they found their five-year-old daughter, Linya, having an extreme asthma attack. So Levi gets down on the ground. He's doing chest compressions, doing CPR, and she ends up dying in his arms. And so five days before Christmas, they lose their five-year-old daughter. I could not fathom the pain that they experienced. I cannot imagine that happening in such a quick moment from what was probably an amazing, enjoyable night, a Christmas that was going to be normal and just like any other, turned out to be the darkest of their lives. And a week later, him and his wife and his whole family got up before their church in Montana, and they shared just what God had been teaching them just over the past week. Just a week later, they got up and shared just from journals that they were writing as a family. And his wife, Jenny, she got up before their church and said, I believe that God has a plan through her going to heaven more than we could ever see. I cannot imagine, I cannot imagine having that kind of faith. I'll be honest with you. When I look back at that story, I ask the question, would I really have that kind of faith? Would I have that kind of hope? Would I be able to say that confidently if something like that happened? Levi, he got up before his congregation. He said this, as a parent, I feel like we have been gutted on the inside out. We are hurting fiercely. We miss her with all of our hearts. But here's what he says. But we are hurting with hope. We are hurting with hope. Why? Because we trust God fully. That is a living hope. And now I know that there are just so many other examples of families and people just like this who have experienced a great deal of pain. And I can't imagine what some of you have and are experiencing. But what I do know is that no matter what, you can have a living hope. Doesn't matter what you go through, you have an eternal inheritance in Christ, you have joy in suffering, and you have amazing promises that God will fulfill. How can you live with this kind of hope? I want to end with just three thoughts how you can truly have this kind of living hope no matter what you deal with, no matter what you experience. First off, believe that God does all things well. If you want to have a living hope, believe, truly believe, not just a head knowledge, but truly trust that God does all things well. Two, 
trust that God's ways are perfect. You may not understand. You may not see what his plan really is, but trust that God's ways are perfect. And number three, know, know that God's love for you is so tremendous that no matter what you deal with, no matter what comes your way, no matter how things seem, God's love for you is so amazing. Believe that God does all things well, trust that his ways are perfect, and know that his love for you is so tremendous. That's how you can have living hope, and it can be yours today. Father God, we come to you right now, and God, we just thank you for your love. God, we thank you for the grace that's found in Jesus. God, I pray that as we look to 2023, let us live with living hope in the highs, in the lows, in the mountains, in the valleys. God, let us live with a hope that never fails. God, let us trust and rely on you. God, let us enjoy your presence, have the joy unspeakable that's found in Christ. And God, I pray for that person here who is dealing with so much pain, with so much suffering, with so many issues that they are carrying in the baggage that is on their backs. God, I pray that they lay it at your feet. You proclaim that your yoke is easy and your burden is light and we can cast all of our cares upon you because you care so deeply for us. And God, I just pray that the hope that can be ours will be ours because of our love and trust in Jesus. I pray for that person here who they're living without hope because they do not have the hope that's found in salvation. God, I pray that they turn from their sins. The Bible says that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved if we repent of our sin, turn from our sin, and trust in Jesus. We can have life eternal with you. And God, I just pray that we draw closer to you and we leave changed. In Jesus' name, amen. You may stand. Thank you for listening to Firmly Planted Podcast, where we dive into the scriptures together. And if you have not yet, please subscribe. Please share with your friends and family who may benefit from this. And we would love to get this in as many hands as possible, not because of me, but because of glorifying God and desiring for others to know God more. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time on Firmly Planted Podcast.